podcast called uh, Dub Jellyson Podcast. He probably doesn't remember this at all. Yeah, we work together. It's easy. This is kind of real. I call it shit. And so it's really cool to get to be a part of that. Hey, you know how it is, bro. Hey, when you... You now tune into the biggest ever. We're not here just to take part. We're here to take over. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's crazy. What's up, everyone? We're back with the final episode of 2021 of the Dub Jelson Podcast. Today, very special guest, Mr. Jake Query. Jake, how are you? Well, thank you. Um, you know, it's been a crazy holiday season. I'll be at a good Christmas, except for the new year. A um, lot to talk about. It's been a busy, man, it's been a flurry of activity because um, it, it feels like, and I guess I could say this selfishly speaking, but I actually, I'm in the COVID protocol myself. Um, I do a morning radio show on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. I'm lucky that I've been able to continue to do that, but I'm doing it from home, um, which I told him, I'm like, hey, if this works out all right, you may never see me again. I might just do this from home the rest of my life. But uh, I'm looking forward to getting back in there once, you know, I'm testing positive or testing negative and I can get back out. Um, but I feel a little bit congested. But, you know, the big story, obviously, is the fact that within the last, at the time that we're recording this, within the hour, it came out. And I had gotten a, a kind of a tip this morning that Sam Ellinger had been told that he was going to be the starting quarterback on Sunday. And then, lo and behold, it comes out that, yes, in fact, Carson Wentz is on the COVID list now for the Colts. So a lot of ways to look at that. I'm sure we'll analyze that, but that's obviously the big deal. Yeah, 100%. Before we, before we get to that, how are you feeling and um... – I mean, where, where do you think that you got you got it from? I know, obviously, this Omicron variant is just flying up everywhere. And it's thankfully, it's not as serious as like the Delta variant or maybe COVID-19 when we first when it first came right. and everything like that. But well, it's a good question. I, you know, and I don't actually and trust me. I, I've, I've been sitting there retracing my steps, trying to figure out, you know, where I did. Um, I had I went to North Central High School on the north side of Indianapolis. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've got a, a great group of friends that during quarantine, when COVID first happened and everybody was just, we started a group text with each other. There's probably 16 or 17 of us. And we've just never stopped. We, we, that's a daily text thread that we have. We have a ton of fun with it. And so for the holidays, we decided we were going to do a get together. And we went to a restaurant on the north side and had a room. Now, I do know because we all know each other really well and we're kind of regularly involved in each other's lives. Everybody's vaxxed. Everybody's boosted for that matter. We're all the same age, which is high 40s. Um, but we did do a get-together. Nobody there had any symptoms, and nobody there besides me has tested positive since. So, I mean, that would be the conventional wisdom because I was in a group. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, obviously right there. But outside of that, I, you know, look, I was Christmas shopping. I mean, the really good news here is – um, I have a dear 89 year old friend that joined my family and I for the holidays. I was around my parents um, and everybody has tested negative so far. And again, I mean, what you just heard from me is probably as severe as my symptoms as I have, at least for now, knock on wood. So I would gather that I got it somewhere in a public setting like that, but there is not a definitive moment where I can look at it and go, uh, that was it, you know? Well, yeah, thankfully you're, um, the 89 year old and your parents are, are, are all feeling fine. Uh, right. I mean, like last year, Sasha Stevanovich tested positive for Purdue and it, I mean, no one else tested positive. He thought that it might've been from like, 
like the cleaning people at the hotel they stayed at. It's just a, a weird thing if you're not if you're not around a lot a lot of people. But yeah, I mean, going out, especially around the holidays. I went out on December 23rd, which was a huge mistake. Getting stuff from my right. Parents. It was a mess over in over at uh, Clay Terrace, and I can only imagine other malls and shopping places like that. Yeah, I did Christmas shopping too. So I was out in the masses, man. I, I did wear a mask, mm-hmm. and I'm vaccinated and I'm double vaccinated actually. Um, so I'm probably fortunate, and I'm grateful that so far those vaccinations appear to have done their job to get me ready for the game. And uh, you know, hopefully, I'm in the third quarter, and I'm not too far behind. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. 100. Uh, well, like I said, I'm I'm glad you're feeling good. Uh, but like you mentioned, obviously the big news uh, this whole week for Colts fans in, in Indy is going to be Carson Wentz testing positive, along with all the other starters that we have out. Um, so what was what was your first reaction when you when you heard that news? Um, knowing the level of how contagious this was and knowing the number of people around him that had tested positive, it almost seemed – an immediate foregone conclusion. I, I didn't see how he wasn't going to test positive. So then I began to think about what the ramification would be if he did. Now, a couple of things I want to point out. First, we assume when we hear that an athlete tests positive that every one of them is asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. We don't know that. I mean, I don't know Carson Wentz's blood type. I'm not a doctor, nor a, you know, whatever it's called, virology neurologist or whatever, you know, I'm, I can't even say the words. That cho- shows you my level of naivete on it. But, you know, there are factors that could go into this, <coughs> excuse me, that we don't know what could lead to somebody being more ill than others. But let's assume that he is not ill and has no symptoms. You know, look, this could actually come at the best time for them. <coughs> excuse me, because – if Carson Wentz is going to have to miss, let's say, two games, you would rather it be these two games than obviously in the playoffs, right? So, and I do apologize for coughing, by the way. But, um, all good. You know, I had heard speculation from people like, would the Colts get him exposed? Zero chance that that took place. Zero yeah. chance. Um, you know, like when you were a kid and, and your sibling had chicken pox and your mom put you together so that everybody would get it, you got it out of the way. But Carson Wentz does not want to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. That's his right. I get it. But if he's not willing to take the vaccine, there is zero chance he's agreeing to going ahead and just exposing himself to a live virus. Zero chance. I agree. But so my thoughts are threefold. The first would be that I hope that Carson Wentz is well and that he doesn't have, you know, just as a human being, obviously that he is well. He has a young child at home. You know, he's a young guy. I would assume that he will be okay, but I hope that that assumption is correct. The second would be that from a football standpoint, if it was going to happen and it it seemed inevitable that it was going to, this would be probably the best timing. And then the third would be if it's not, and if it costs the Colts a game or a playoff position, uh, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. They put themselves in that position, and he put himself in that position. And he is a guy that, while I like him, and I've been bullish on him as a player, probably more so than most, I've been an apologist for him almost, 
And I think he's a good player. I mean, he's a good guy. I don't know him, but he seems like a nice guy. But all that to be said, things went south for him in Philadelphia, partially because I think he didn't have the mental strength to deal with criticism. And Philadelphia is pretty harsh. Their media is very harsh. Well, if he thought that that was rough, wait till what it's going to be like for him here if he just costs the Colts a playoff run. I mean, you can be ugly. It's already getting ugly. I mean, people, I mean, even in the last couple of weeks, you've seen a lot of people on Twitter and, and everything like that, indie sports guys, whatever the case may be. I mean, they're all getting ready to rip into, and I'm sure they're writing up a story right now about him. Well, here's the thing. Let, let me interject. I, I want to make clear that people understand what I'm saying here. Mm-hmm. It is true. A valid point that people will address. Yeah. 100%. Okay. I am vaccinated. I am vaccinated. Three shots. Most recent being a month ago. And I'm sitting here talking to you with COVID. Okay. So it is a valid point from people and a valid criticism to say, look, just because the fact that Carson Wentz has tested positive, you cannot definitively say is because he's unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a fair point. Where it becomes an issue is the NFL Players Association, which is an association that the players, their, organ, their union organization, they agreed to a protocol that said the timeline of time that you would miss if you are unvaccinated would in fact be a different protocol for your return upon a positive test than if you had been vaccinated. He absolutely has the right to determine that it's not the best interest for he, his family, his body, whatever it might be, to be vaccinated. We can debate the science of that till the cows come home. But what is factual is that he has that liberty in this country to make that decision. That's fine. But he also has to live with the social consequences if that turns out to be something that is detrimental to the organization that pays him a lot of money. (coughs) And whether or not that is the case and it's going to be detrimental to them remains to be seen. But right now, what most people thought was pretty inevitable is taking place. Yeah, and I uh, I agree with you um, to that point. I'm vaccinated as well. I just scheduled my booster, actually. I uh, I got eligible for that or, like, whatever the time frame is. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, it was inevitable. And when, like, Darius Leonard – and when all the offensive linemen tested positive, I was like, oh, no. This – it's going to hit him at, at some right. point. And I'm just hoping that we don't have to turn and turn to some Brian Lindley – Josh Freeman situation. Um, hopefully, Ellinger and and uh, I think Hunley's our other quarterback. Are, don't test positive before Sunday, and then we're left with a whole nother situation. And then, I mean, as far as what it means for Sat or Sunday, I mean, if Jonathan Taylor's there, I still think we have a really good chance to win, even with Ellinger. I would agree with that, although. Listen, Jonathan Taylor, as we saw, if you look at the game between Indianapolis and New England, mm-hmm. late in that game, and I made the point this morning on, on my radio show, at the end of that game, everybody in the stadium, everybody watching on national television, everybody on the New England sideline, everybody knew on the final drive of that game that Jonathan Taylor was going to get the ball and the Colts game plan was going to be the salt clock with Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. And they loaded the box. 
Everybody knew he was getting the ball. Broke off a 60-plus yard touchdown run, right? So knowing he's getting the ball (coughs) and figuring out how to stop it are two totally different things. Mm -hmm. You are correct. If he's out there, know he's getting the ball it doesn't mean they can stop it but it does become obviously a little easier to load the box on the regular and play the law of averages if you're Vegas's defense with Sam Ellinger under center than Carson Wentz I mean there's no question about it and look the Raiders man I mean they're playing for their playoff lives here I'll tell you what's interesting <coughs> I promise I've not been coughing all day and then I do this and now here I am. but what's really interesting is if you look at the standings, the Raiders are nine and Raiders are a game behind the Colts. Yeah. So there are more than two teams. When it comes to the wild card, the first tiebreaker is conference record. So long as there are more than two teams with the same record. Mm-hmm. If it's just two teams, the first tiebreaker is head to head. Okay. Well, if Las Vegas is to beat the Colts, they would move into a tie in terms of conference record. They would have the tie breaker in terms of head to head. And so, a couple of factors that come into play common opponents, whatever else, if there are more than just those two with the record that they both have at the end of the year. So, it actually is a bigger game, especially for the Raiders, than I think people realize. You know, the New England game was big. I think it was big because partially it, it's New England. But this game is pretty big. There's a lot on the line. Like, this is not a – I think we both know the division is probably out of reach. I think we yeah. both know that. But you're talking about wild card seeding here and trying to get yourself in position for the postseason, and you've got some momentum going. You know, this is a disruption to that. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about – or I think you guys talked about, you and you and Query, uh, or, I mean, you and you and Derek. Uh, you guys talked about like the last last four or five games, which were most important, and it was New England and and Vegas. I mean, we we lose this game, we're probably still in the playoffs. I don't I don't think that's that's really in jeopardy at this point. But I mean, we lose this game, it could mean taking a trip to whoever the two seed may be. I mean, and then even then, I'm not I'm not too scared of any of the teams in the AFC except for maybe Kansas City. Well, I, listen, if you're the Colts, there are a couple of things you want to avoid. And, and I'm talking about a Carson Wentz-led, healthy, rhythm Colts team, okay? The first thing you want to avoid is Kansas City on the road. You don't want to go to Kansas City. I do think that playing at Buffalo, even though they showed the blueprint on how to totally manhandle Somewhat of a challenge to do that again because it's going to be cold and snowy. Advantage Jonathan Taylor running the ball. But Buffalo now has the tape on what beat them before. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Josh Allen, when he's on, is a very dangerous quarterback. Um, the other team that, that to me is intriguing, because from a franchise standpoint, they're certainly not mature enough for the playoffs. From a, an experience standpoint, they're not overly mature for the playoffs. But I'll tell you who's coming and coming quick and coming together and gelling and in rhythm and starting to get healthy is the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm not certain I'd want to go 
Joe Burrow's a rhythm quarterback. He's a Mac, he's a Mac Jones level rhythm guy with a stronger and more accurate arm and better weapons. I wouldn't want to face the Bengals, to be honest with you. <clears throat> now, I would rather face the Bengals than at Kansas City. Mm-hmm. But but if I had to rank the teams in the in the AFC that I think would be the trickiest for Indianapolis, I would say it would probably be Kansas City number one, obvious. But I think if they had to go to Cincinnati, I'm not saying that they would struggle, but I think the potential is there for that to be a roadblock more than people might realize. That I mean, that's looking like a, a very – especially if we can get past these two games and grab that top wild card spot. I mean, it's looking like we're either going to go to Cincinnati or um, New England or Buffalo, whoever wins that division. Better have Carson Wentz, man. Yeah. And I don't – Thinking about it now, I don't like the idea of, of having to go through New England or Buffalo again just because it's it's hard to beat teams twice in the NFL, especially I mean, the level that those teams are at. You're right. I mean, look, so long as the Colts have Jonathan Taylor, a healthy line, they're going to have a chance at about any game. I mean, I think we know that. I think we know that this guy now – there is enough proof there. There's enough body of work to know that Jonathan Taylor is, in fact, the real deal. I mean, I think we can safely say that. Obviously, he's the real deal. But I'm saying that that even now, I mean, he's not sneaking up on anybody, and yet he's still thrown over 100 yards. I mean, he, you know, he's he is a back that you can ride behind and build around. There's not a lot of backs in the NFL. You know, it's a passer's league. So it's there, there are not a lot of offenses in the NFL that are predicated upon their running back. And yet Indianapolis is. is. Now, Carson Wentz can make you plays, and he has been really good this year. I think, what, 26 touches and six turnovers? I mean, he has been everything that you expected him to be when you went out and made the trade for him, and he has justified making that transaction to get him. But Jonathan Taylor's their bell cow. Their defense is, is competent, beyond competent. They, they're excellent at, turn, at getting turnovers. The Colts win games based on the, the turnover battles. And if they continue to do that, and Darius Leonard's back out there doing that for them, they're going to be – they got a chance at any game. There's no doubt about it. But the real trick here is we are assuming that the Colts that we have seen for the last six weeks is the Colts we're going to see for the next six weeks. And the reality is there's a huge question mark over that. Yeah, I agree as well with that. And then the next part of that was as it relates to Carson, um, he, he kind of showed in the Cardinals game that – He's he has the ability to make those those big time plays, but I mean we don't really have the I mean aside from Pittman, Ty's been really inconsistent this year. Dealt with the the neck injury and everything like that, and then Paris Campbell we don't know what he's going to be when he comes back. Pascal had a good few first few weeks. I mean our wide receiving core is is a little shaky in my opinion. Yeah, partially because of exactly what you're talking about, of not knowing which guys you're going with, right? I think Pittman is emerging and continues to emerge as, I think every quarterback, let me tell you this, like I, I have, the times that I have covered the Colts, basically has been two quarterbacks, Manning and Luck, right? But I've seen Holcomb and, and Paul Justin and Jim Harbaugh and, Curtis Painter and Josh Freeman and, you know, Dan Orlovsky. I mean, I've seen Philip Rivers. One thing I noticed with, with every one of those, Peyton Manning in his rookie year, Marvin Harrison separates his shoulder. 
Small becomes Peyton Manning's safety net. His go-to guy, the guy that – I'll back this up. I don't like the public speak. It's my number one fear in life is going in, in public speaking, emceeing things and having to be in front of a crowd and speak. It's my number one. I don't sleep for days beforehand. When I go to speak in public, like the little reception beforehand, and I find somebody in the crowd that looks like a dude I grew up with, or just seems like a cool guy, mm-hmm. and I shoot the bull with that guy. Then when I get up on the stage, I, I scan and I find that guy. And then when I'm talking and giving the speech, I look towards that dude and remind myself that I'm just talking to that guy and I don't pay attention to anybody else. That's my safety net guy, right? That's the guy to get me in my comfort zone. Every quarterback has that guy. They might not say it. When Tom Brady got to Tampa, guaranteed, the first thing he did was just started working out, doing repetitions. Now, you got Grok there. Why? Safety net guy, Right. But every quarterback has that, that receiver that is their primary state. They just feel comfortable with Pittman has emerged as that guy for Carson Wentz. Now, a secondary guy that I think is kind of a bailout guy for Carson Wentz, and by that I mean when the play's breaking down, last option, you know that if you throw it in the vicinity of this guy, he's going to bail you out. That's by Zach Pascal, truth be told. I think he's emerged as a guy that, that – you never design necessarily things to go to him, but when they do, he can make plays for you. The real trick for the Colts has been the lack of a deep ball, consistent deep ball threat to keep defenses honest. T.Y. Hilton, let's face it, is the shadow of his old self. I think he's still a good player. I think he brings value to the franchise. I don't want to hear from T.Y. Hilton's fan club, but clearly – I think T.Y. Hilton here is here this year because Jim Irsay gave him a Lifetime Achievement Award and Chris Ballard was more gun-shy about bringing him back, in my opinion. Paris Campbell was thought to be the replacement for that and that transition from deep ball threat to deep ball threat. That has not obviously taken place yet because of Paris Campbell's health. So, you know, Aston Doolin's done a nice job of trying to be that guy, but but – Probably not necessarily at this point enough repetition there. So I'll slightly disagree with you about the caliber of receivers for the Colts, but I will agree with you that the core in general lacks the consistency and reliability game in and game out of knowing exactly how each works alongside the other. Yeah, and that's a that's a fair point. But I, I wanted to go back to your public speaking fear because I had – Derek, um, who's obviously your good friend on the show. No, no, no. Years. He's my coworker. Now, you know, Derek will tell you that we're best friends. And if I'm Derek, I would tell people that about me too. Derek is my coworker. Let's be very clear. All right, all right, fair enough. Well, he was he was telling me about how how you had a, a public speaking fear. And I was like, that makes no sense to me. Like you you literally talk for a living. And you can't get up and – I mean, I, I know that there is kind of a, a different feel to it, but that, that made me laugh when, when he told me that. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I just – when I get invited to and – I'm, and I'm thrilled that people do it and I'm flattered by it, but when I get asked to emcee an event or give a speech, I just know deep down I would be disappointed if I went to an event and I was the speaker. So I know that those people in the crowd when I get up there are disappointed because there's nothing that I'm going to speak about that they want to hear. And so that's an uncomfortable thing for me 
the disappointment that I know that I'm giving them. And so that's why I get a fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable. And I want to transition from talking to the Colts about uh, just kind of talking about your career and, and every, everything you got going on now. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's cool to watch. Um, how long did it, were you always like that? Like, I mean, going up in front of the class and giving your presentation and stuff like that. How long did it take you to kind of get comfortable on the, on the microphone and, and doing all these different things? On a microphone, I was never uncomfortable with it. When I was, I mean, I'm old, right? So I'm 49 years old. And when I was a kid, we had a tape recorder that had a little microphone attached to it. And I was the youngest of three. My sisters both would be away at school before I was of age to go to school when I was five, six years old. And I would take their tape recorder. And I remember my sister had a, an album. You wouldn't even know what albums are, but a big 33-inch vinyl album on a record player. And it was a Kiss album. It was Kiss Live. I think they filmed it live in Detroit or something. But it had a crowd noise in it, obviously, right? Like, the, you know, the Kiss would quit, get them playing, and then the crowd would erupt. And, and the, So I would take the tape recorder and sit by the record player. And when the come on I would act like it was a sporting event and I would make fake sporting events and I would act like I was commentating sporting events when I was five six years old on the cassette tape and I just kept doing that all through my childhood and I knew that I wanted to North Central High School which is where I went school had a student run radio station and I would listen to their football games on Friday nights when I was when my sister was in high school and I was in fifth grade and I always dreamed of doing that so when I got to North Central, that program, the radio TV program, is for juniors and seniors. <clears throat> and when I was a junior, I signed up for it. And you take the program as a junior, and then as a senior, you can do the. You have to be asked back as a senior student, and you are then invited to do basketball or football play by play. And as a junior, I signed up for it. In the first week of school, they said, "Well, hey, listen, we don't have anybody to do the football games." So anybody that was interested could go to the freshman football game with a tape recorder and do a mock tape, an audition tape, and turn it in. So myself, my friend Mac Engel, who's now the Cowboys beat writer for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, one of my best friends, um, a handful of us, Bill Swords, I think at the time might have been doing it, who's now the president of AT&T Indiana, was a North Central guy. Um, Adam Alexander, who's now a broadcaster for Fox for NASCAR, Adam was a football player, so he joined me for basketball season, but he didn't do football. But we all went, and I just went and got on the tape just like I'd done as a five-year-old, and I did the game. And I was at lunch about three days later, and somebody came up to me and said, hey, did you hear? I said, no, what? Said, you got picked. You're going to be doing the games on, on the radio, doing the football. And I have been very blessed to do a lot of neat things in my career, but there's nothing that has ever more excited me than the day that I found out that I was going to be doing North Central High School football games on WJEL, your Panther Sports Connection. Um, And I was very comfortable from the get-go doing those games on the radio just because I had put myself in position in my mind to do that for so long. So doing a game or doing a, a sports talk show or doing a podcast and talking into a phone or a microphone, is completely different than being on a stage and looking out and seeing people that, that are captivated by your, you know, that, that you have their attention um, or seemingly do. So I've always been comfortable on the mic itself. And I think that I just, when I went to college, I majored in English because I wanted to have a command of the language. I didn't know if I'd be able to get a job in broadcasting. So I figured I better have something to fall back on. Um, I just tried to put myself in position to be in position as jobs opened up. And it hasn't always been easy. There have been times I've been between jobs. Um, but I, 
I'm very fortunate. I'll be 50 in 2022. And to think that I'm 50 years old and I'm still waiting for them to tell me this isn't going to work out for me is pretty amazing. That's a super special. So I love that story so much. Well, I appreciate it. You know, and I mean, look, you look at what you're doing. I mean, that's. back every day that you do it you do a podcast you do zooms you do blogs you do video chats every day that you do that you're in the batting cage and you're just taking swings right and and there's nothing wrong with getting base hits every single day tony gwynn got a lot of base hits he's in the hall of fame mm-hmm. you know adam dunn got a lot of home runs but he struck out a lot not in the hall of fame so there's nothing wrong with just getting base hits going through the repetition and you're very fortunate in the fact that there are now, as a matter of fact, one could make the argument that what you are doing, getting an outreach and doing interviews and getting them on the internet, probably, you know, it's quite frankly, quite possible that you get as much eyeballs or ears towards what you're doing as I do being on the radio for three hours a day. I mean, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to aspire so long as you are doing, this is what I've always felt. I'm not the best at what I do. There's not a single area of my career where I'm the best at what I do. There are some where I think I'm really, really good, but there's nowhere where I'm the best at what I do. In my mind, I might think so, but I know the realities, right? Mm-hmm. I could go into a fast food restaurant and the guy making my fast food, I can look at it and go, that guy's a fast food employee. But he might be the best fast food line cook in the city of Indianapolis. Then you know what? That makes him more successful in his career than I am in mine. Because I'm not the best at what I do. He's the best at what he does. So what you do is put yourself in position to be in position. And by doing what you're doing, doing interviews and, and, and getting it out there and talking about sports and getting people to hear your opinions and, and to engage in illicit conversation and to create alternative thought process for people, all about and every time that you do it you're getting more comfortable on that mic and i'm assuming because you asked me that that you yourself are you learning to be comfortable on the mic or have you always been comfortable on the mic let me ask you that i when i started this podcast i started in august of 2019 and i i mean i did the first the first one it was like me and three of my friends and i kept messing up like i said I'm going to be the host of the Dub Jelson podcast most of the time, even though it's my freaking show. Right, right. It, it was a mess to begin with. And I, <clears throat> I'm i one of those people that, like in class, I sit in the back. I don't, I don't say anything unless someone or the teacher calls on me or whatever. So it was a big transition for me to, to get on Zoom and, and do it and put myself out there. Yeah, see? So right there, I look now – TV from 10, 15 years before I did radio, I was in television. And I look now, I found the other day, it's funny, about a year ago. And when I say cleaning out, I mean, I took 17 tubs, tubs, not boxes, tubs, like massive, right? 17 tubs of stuff to charities, mm-hmm. books, bobbleheads, press kits. I mean, you name it, you name it. duffel bags from the world basketball championships and the super bowls and you know 
I had it all, like, I just had it all laying around. I'm like, I got to get rid of this stuff. But one of the things I kept is I, I found my resume reel from when I worked at Channel 6 in like 2001 or 2002. And I thought it was really good at the time, 20 years ago. I look at it now and I'm like, this is terrible. It's passable. But everyday base hits. Everyday base hits. And that's the key. And before you know it, I recall when I worked in television, one day, it wasn't the, 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 cam the microphone was never a problem for me. The camera took getting used to, like knowing where to turn to it. And, I, and I'll tell you this, this is the best advice that somebody gave me. When I was a younger guy, I was talking to Ed Sorensen, who was a big sportscaster in Indianapolis. He was around the age that I am right now. And I said to him, I was like, man, how do you do live television and you got no, no prompter, just winging it, you just ad-libbing it? And he literally looked at me like, Chase, let me ask you something. I go, okay. And he goes, how long have we been sitting here talking? I said, I don't know, what, 15, 20 minutes? He said, how many times have you had to look at your notes to talk to me? look at my notes we're just having a conversation and he said so why would it be any different just because there's a camera you're just talking look at the camera person and think of that person as your buddy that you're sitting at the bar with and just talk to him don't even pay attention to the lens so getting used to the camera was a was a challenge for me getting used to the microphone never was and it won't be for you either not that it is now but as you talk about that moving forward just remember We've been having this conversation the whole time. You haven't had to look at a single note. Mm -hmm. So, so long as you think of it that way, that comfort level will continue to grow. Yeah. I think my thing was just knowing that people are listening or would be, I mean, it's obviously, it's not that many people. I'm not like some big prodigy or whatever, but just knowing that someone's listening and I don't want to make a fool out of myself. I was always kind of like hesitant a little bit, I guess. Look, it only takes one person to hear it. Mm. And, and one person that hears it and goes, you know what, I like that guy, and then gives you a shot. You just never know. So don't get caught up in that. I don't, I'm stunned that people listen to me in the morning on the radio. Stunned. Like, I'll be, I'll be somewhere, and someone will come up to me and say something to me, and I always say the same thing. I'm like, how do you recognize me? I'm on the radio. I'm not on television. How do you recognize me? And they'll say, well, from Twitter or whatever else. And it's very flattering. But then I always ask him, I'm like, well, how often do you listen to our show? Or when I was with Derek in the afternoons, how often do you listen to our show? Oh, you know, this and that. And, and I'm like, people actually listen to that? <laughs> and it's, it's surreal to me. I mean, I, I just assume, I, I, I don't know, man. I grew up in Indy, so I know people because I'm from, just from being from here. But I wouldn't expect anybody to know what I do for a living. I wouldn't expect anybody to know that. So it's always weird when they do. Well, I, I told this to Derek, I don't know how many times. I'd probably bring it up every time we talk. But you guys, especially in the afternoons, that's all me and my dad would listen to on the radio when, when he was taking me to baseball practice or picking me up from school or, or whatever. So, I, I mean, I grew up with listening to you guys. And, I mean, so for you to, for you to come on here is uh, it's super special to me. But, I mean, you guys have always been entertaining to me because you guys – I mean, it feels it feels genuine and authentic, and that's what that's what people want. Yeah, I think that the key. Don't take yourself too seriously. Number one, right? Like, I'm not. Look, man, I'm not curing cancer, right? I mean, we're talking about 
utilizing ball scores and we're joking around and we're having fun. And the two things that I thought was really important and I still think it's important in the morning with Kevin Bowen is you want to make sure you have fun. And I, I, I don't, I try not to get too lost in the numbers. You know, people can sit around and talk about and Derek is all lost in the numbers, right? Yip and warp and warp. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? People want to be entertained. People want to have fun with it. And so we make it light, mix it up a little bit. You know, you got to have, sure, you got to have your, your, your fruits and vegetables in there, but then you also get your dessert, so you balance it out. But then in addition to that, like, we're lucky to have the job we have. And the reason we have the job we have is because people are willing to listen to it. So in order to thank them for listening to it or make it viable for them, you want to give them something they want to hear. You want to have fun with it. Most importantly, you can't take yourself too seriously, man. I mean, look, I've gotten to know people in the medical field, for example, in the last year of my life. And I talk about what they do for a living. And I'm like, but what you do for a living counts and it matters. What I do for a living is the, the whipped cream on top of the Sunday. I mean, ain't nobody's life getting saved by me. I know that. But if I can accentuate it a little bit or make it fun, that's cool. But most importantly, and the thing I think you said that is the most important to me, it was always very important to me. And I always tried to be cognizant of it. Not to say that I did all the time. But I'm always aware of the fact I used to drive around with my dad in the car. And we'd listen to different things. And my dad was... very still very highly mannered and scrupulous individual and so he told me one time when I was a young kid that he thought the ultimate talent was somebody that could make people laugh without having to be crass now, I can be crass don't get me wrong and sometimes it is funny and there's a time and place but I've always tried to be aware of the fact as a result of that that when we were on the radio, that there were people listening in the car with their kids. And I wanted to be able to create a content that adults could listen to and enjoy without fear of their kids being in the car and that maybe their kids can enjoy it too. So for you to say that, you think it's neat for you to have me here on your podcast, which is flattering to me, but it is double neat for me to hear you say that. Well, I mean, that's that's exactly what you guys did though. And it's, it's, it is a weird line to to try to find that balance because you look at people like Pat McAfee show, like if you're, if you're a, a new parent, you don't want your kids listening to that necessarily. And then you right. listen to others, some other radio shows and they're, they're kind of boring. They're talking about the numbers uh, like you mentioned, but I mean, you, you and Kevin, and then you and you and Derek have, fi- have found that balance. We try, you know, now it's, <laughs> it's getting harder for me to find it. I mean, we're working towards it obviously, but I got to get used to being up at six 30 in the morning, brother. I mean, <laughs> I'm getting used to it now, but that first month or so was like, man, this is, this is, the, this is, I tell people all the time, it's not early in the morning if you haven't gone to bed yet. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was wondering when, when that got announced, I was like, how the heck is he going to get up that? I thought you, that you were just a morning person. And I was like, Oh, he might thrive in this. I don't know. Uh, listen, I, I've always been, my whole life, I've been a night owl. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a go to bed at 3 a.m. guy, Same. get up at 11. Um, <laughs> so it's taken a little adjustment, but let's say the nap schedule, enjoy. I, I have a nap schedule now. I'll put it to you that way. Fair enough. Hey, I can't, can't fault you for that. Um, I want to go back to, 
you talked about putting yourself in a position for positions. I think, mm -hmm. I believe that's what you said. Um, yep. How do you think that's worked to your advantage and, and all the different things that you do now with, with the early morning radio, your show with, with Derek on ISC Sports Network, and then obviously the IndyCar stuff as well. How do you think that's prepared you to, to take on all those tasks and do those different roles? Well, it's funny because I don't think of myself as busy at all. I mean, I, I have, uh, you know, I, I've, none of those are hard jobs. I mean, they're all pretty easy. But the best way I could say it would be this, and I'll do it chronologically. And this applies to people, I think, no matter what line of work you're in. But I knew at a young age that my dream was to be on the Indy 500 radio broadcast. That was one of my first ever real sports goals. And I worked in television here locally at Channel 6, and I always was – I had a great admiration for the guys on the IndyCar radio network and the IMS radio network, and I would tape it and listen to the races. But when I ultimately transitioned from television over to WIBC, which is the flagship radio station for the Indy 500, I thought, well, here's my end. So I was in position. I put myself in position to be in position to try to get on with the IMS radio network. Now, I went and met with Wally Levitt, who was the general manager of the IMS radio network that ultimately became my boss, and said, you know, hey, I work at, they set up for me, Emma set up for me the meeting with Wally. And I went and met with Wally, and Wally basically said, if you want to come out and do an audition on the internet or something like that, that's fine. I remember thinking to myself, I'm doing mornings on WIBC, your flagship station. Like, this should be a slam dunk. That's what I thought. But what I said was, absolutely. Whatever, whatever you have, I'd be happy to help out. And so I went over and did a practice session for Indy Lights on the internet during the month of May. And two days later, Wally called me and said, hey, we just had somebody that has a contract conflict and can't do race day in the pits for the 500. Can you do it? And I said, sure. Now, that opportunity does not come to me if when he first offered me the lights thing, if I'd said, no, nah, that's beneath me. I knew it wasn't. You're only worth what somebody's willing to give you. Mm -hmm. You have to show them that you're worth more. So I put myself in position to then be in that position. Now, ultimately, I left Emmis and ended up over with Derek working for 10 years. I think Derek and I doing our afternoon show much validated by what you're saying, which I appreciate, tried our hardest to do a show where people liked us. I don't mean they liked our radio show. I mean, they thought we were decent guys. And I think I just learned that being a, a blowhard, hot take, blowtorch guy doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah, people might listen to you for a while, but it's like watching a house on fire. You watch it for like 20 minutes until finally the, the flames just kind of get old. And you're like, yeah. And then you drive past that spot three days later and the house isn't even there anymore. You can be, the, you can be that guy where everybody's going to stop and watch it burn for 20 minutes but it doesn't have longevity. And so when Derek and I were laid off, corporate layoff, which I understood, big time national corporation that has a bottom line to get to, when we got laid off, and I think we were good to people. And the fact that people found us as decent guys and understood that we didn't take ourselves too seriously, that allowed us the opportunity with ISC to continue to do a show and keep our name out there, which I'm very grateful for. Um, and to continue, Derek and I have a lot of fun together. So to continue our show together 
And that allowed me to keep my name out there as well until a situation opened up at MS, which I knew was my ultimate vision of where I wanted to land. And then it took two years, but eventually they had an opening and I went all in to try to get that job. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be given to me there and the belief put in me. But in both of those situations, once there was a position, I had to have put myself in position to be there. So I put myself in position to be in position once things opened up. I did it with ISC by making sure that we didn't burn bridges. And I did it with MS by making sure that, that we were still out there, that they knew I was interested. So you just got to make sure when they unlock the door, finally open it up, that you're in line with your invitation. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love that. And that's something that I've thought about subconsciously, I guess, because I write for Hammer and Rails, which is the Purdue Purdue yeah. site. And I was I was I emailed Travis Miller, shout out to him. He he took a shot on me. I had no writing experience, just changed my major to communications. And he goes, Yeah, we don't have anyone for women's basketball. I had literally never watched a Purdue women's basketball game in my life before that. And I, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And then it's, I mean, I was, I've got the big 10 tournament. I got to cover the bucket game this year. Um, it's, I mean, it's turned into something, something special just because like you, like you mentioned, I put myself in that position to be. Right. In that position. Yep. That's exactly right. And that just, just maintain that man and you'll be fine. Maintain that and you'll be fine. Or no, you'll be 49 years old in the middle of some pandemic coughing a little bit while talking <laughs> to somebody about it. 100%. Um, I want to talk about you guys. I mean, that just 2020 for you was was really rough. And I wanted to go back and talk about that. I, you, had a, you had a heart attack. Um, thankfully, you you got past it and you're doing fine. And then you ran like a half marathon afterwards. You're, yeah, I did. You're crazy as hell. <laughs> I don't understand you. But, um, I mean – what 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 was that experience like and and how did you handle it like mentally and emotionally i think it was the best year of my life um the year started out in january of 2020 um i'm a diehard clemson football fan and i watched them get absolutely eviscerated by lsu in the national championship game after jumping out to an early lead and then they just got demolished. And I'm like, man, that was rough. And the week before, the two days before that, access back up, I went into, I don't remember what, the second or third of January. I don't, maybe it was first week of January. I can't remember the dates, but at the very beginning of January, 2020, I went into a gas station at about two in the morning and I walk in. And there's a guy holding the door. And I thought, well, that's nice of him. And then I realized, wait, that guy's got a gun on my face. And then I realized, oh, this is the watchman for the armed robbery that's taking place. And the cashier's got his arms up. And so they're robbing the gas station. So I got out of there. And then two days later was the national championship game. Clemson just gets blown out of the building. I couldn't sleep. And I had a prescription for Ambien, which I... You know, I hadn't filled in like a year or whatever. And I thought, you know what? I can't sleep. I might as well get go pick up my Ambien prescription. So I call it into the drugstore, a 24-hour drugstore. And I'm waiting in line at like 4 in the morning in the drugstore. And I'm thinking, in the last 48 hours, I had a gun put to my face. 
and Clemson get blown out of the building. Like, I don't know that I could have a worse 48 hour period in my life. And I went to bed and I woke up six hours later, or whatever. And I had a text from the boss of our radio station that said, you need to come in here as soon as you can. And I knew right then what it was. And he said, yeah, you guys are all laid off. 3,000 people nationwide or 50, I don't remember what the number was, but including, so Derek and I were done. So the front page of the paper is that I'm now unemployed. And oh, mind you, I'm doing a fundraiser for the clerk that got held up at the gas station. And I'm like, great. So now the entire city thinks this was all a ruse because now I'm out of a job. So they think that I'm trying to, you know, whatever. So I thought, man. So then March happens and I go down to St. Petersburg for the first IndyCar event to do on IndyCar radio. And I'm in my, and, and the night before I'm supposed to leave, I'll never forget. All of a sudden, Shannon, my girlfriend, comes in and goes, they just canceled the NBA season. I'm like, what are you talking about? And her dad works in the NBA. So I'm like, well, did your dad tell you that? And she goes, no, it's all over the news. And I look over the TV and I'm like, Rudy Gobert just tested positive. And I'm leaving tomorrow for the IndyCar race in St. Petersburg. So I'm like, I, so I fly down to St. Pete and my hotel room and I get the email the next morning that says, we're done. Racing again until May. And right then I thought, there's no way the 500 is happening in May. Obviously, we know now that it got pushed to August, you know, whatever else. So then in October, I'm supposed to go back to St. Pete for the IndyCar finale, makeup race, eight, seven months later. And the night before I'm supposed to leave, I'm sit down for dinner and I have a heart attack. My buddy, Mac Engel of the Fort Worth Star Telegraph, who I mentioned earlier, was in town. He drives me to the hospital and I had 100% blockage in my LDA, the widow maker, which is the, the artery that feeds blood back into the heart. Um, I mean, I was, I never lost consciousness, but I was, I was probably close. I mean, it was close. It was hairy. It was not comfortable. They did an angioplasty and opened my heart back up. And then I was in the hospital for 31 hours. Then I went through cardio rehab and just worked my way back. Got to know my cardiologist pretty well, Dr. Mottman, a community heart master the hospital, great dude. And so all of that, long-winded and circuitously, the point I'm making is, I think I just learned what's important. And I looked back at the robbery, and I looked back at losing my job, and I looked back at coming really close to losing my life and being in that room, not knowing if I was ever going to make it out of that room. And when I was in that room, you know, I had about 15 minutes between when they determined that I was having a 100% blockage, but make a heart attack, and when they could get me into the cath lab to do my angioplasty. Actually, I can tell you it was 14 minutes. So Mottman comes in and says to me, like, we're getting everything ready and we got to get you in there, but, you know, it's a waiting game. And I said, so I'm going to die, right? And he goes, well, I will tell you that you're in the best place that you can be. Ward that off if that process begins. And I said... That doesn't tell me anything, which actually tells me everything. And he kind of laughed. And he was like, well, hey, man, you know, we're going to get everything. And I mean, there was a whole hub of activity going on around me, but everything went silent. And I just had this moment to kind of stop and assess everything. And I realized in that moment that this, there was the chance that I was not going to make it out of that room. 
And I actually, I don't know if I've said this part to a lot of people, but <clears throat> as somebody who goes myself to go and see historical grave markers and things like that, which Derek Schultz thinks is really weird. I actually saw my own headstone. And I remember thinking like, man, 48. Like I would have thought I'd gotten more than that. But then I realized in that moment, if this is it though, I can't complain. I've gotten everything out of the 48 that I would have liked to have done. I've reached a lot of my goals. I have great relationships, great parents, great family, great education, great advantages, great bosses, great jobs. And I'm a happy guy. And life has been good to me. Life has been better to me than perhaps I've been at all times to life. And so in that moment, I thought about John, the guy getting robbed at the grocery store. And I thought about you know everything that I'd seen over the course of the year. And I thought about how inconsequential it was that I lost my job in January and how being a radio host really didn't define who I am and that I had done just fine even when I was no longer a radio host. So in that moment, in that room, I had this incredible peace about me. And that peace about me was what allowed me to get out of that room because I was okay with who I was and what I was if that was the end for me. And so the incredible gift of being able to have that epiphany that very few people I think have in their lifetime is the reason why undoubtedly it was the best year of my life because I'm appreciative now for things that I might not have been before. That gave me chills. <laughs> you talking about that. That's crazy. Did you ever like have that, like have that type of thinking process before or has it just been this, this past like, um, year or so? No, a little bit. I mean, I think that the one thing that I did always have, and I think I got this from my mom. My mom just had a way of living about her. Well, she still does. I mean, my mom is still living. Thankfully, both my parents are well. But, um, you know, just kind of this zest for life, right? And so did I cognizantly have that approach beforehand? Maybe not. But I always knew I'm the guy that if I am in um, – if I'm in New Mexico and I know that I'm within 85 miles of Billy the Kid's grave, I'm going to go drive the 85 miles to go there because people can be like, why? And I'm, I'm going to say, because I have no idea when I'll ever be this close to it again. So why would I leave and go, damn, I should have done that. So if there's an opportunity to get something done, I'm going to do it. So that's how I've, and I've had that mindset for a while. So, yeah, was it because I knew ultimately I was going to end up in that room at 48? No, but the mindset paid off for me when it mattered most. That's something I wish more people would, would embrace because, I, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm, I'm, I'm only 21. I, I feel like I'm invincible and all, and all that type of nonsense. But no, I mean, to an extent, you probably are, but <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody I told you that, <laughs> you know. You're more invincible than you are at 48, but you still need to take care of yourself. How's that? Yeah. Uh, um, hey, man, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. But uh, I just I just realized we went way over time. So I'm going to wrap this up. But I really appreciate you coming on and doing this and and giving me all – giving dropping all these – drop – geez, Louise. Dropping all this knowledge um, is actually re really useful for me. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on and – and being real and being authentic here. Hey, it's my pleasure. Anything you need, you let me know. I certainly wish you the best, and you're, you're going about it the right way. So anything along the way that we can do to help you out, you let me know. I'd be happy to do it.
Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a have a happy new year and uh, hopefully you same to you. Yes, sir. I'll be drinking Gatorade next time I see you. <laughs> be good. <laughs>